Oh, y'all act like y'all didn't hear me. He is risen. All right. I won't notice somebody's out there this morning. Amen. And we're celebrating the fact that he is risen this morning, and we're going to think about that as it's taught to us in God's Word. The ushers are coming down the aisles. If you're visiting with this morning and you don't have a Bible, we want to um, give you a Bible um, to use in the service. It'll help you to follow along with the sermon. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we want you to take that Bible, and the first thing we want you to do is to write your name in it and take it home with you. That'll be our gift to you. Uh, We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Uh, So we are this morning thinking, as we've been thinking about in song, uh, the resurrection of the Lord, his rising from the grave, and what that means. The other thing we'd like to give you, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, is a copy of a little book that I had the privilege of writing about two years ago called Captivated, Beholding the Mystery of Jesus' Death and Resurrection. Uh, so if you're visiting with, you to, uh, with us this morning, let me invite you to just raise your hands. Um, this is how we're going to get this gift to you. Um, let, let us, the ushers are going to come and bring you a copy of this. It's meant to be a long meditation on the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord. And you'll find inside the books a little welcome card. So this is a gift, but I'm going to make a trade with you. If you would fill out that welcome card for us uh, and give it to the ushers after the service, that'll let us get to know you a little bit better as well. Uh, so there should be copies for, for everyone who'd like one. Uh, so if you, if you haven't gotten it yet, keep your hands up. Uh, The ushers will bring it to you. And let me do one other thing. Uh, Let me have you join me in thanking again the Cornerstone Voices for blessing us this morning in song. Amen. Amen. Cornerstone Schools, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, is a a school dedicated to classical Christian education uh, for students here east of the river. Uh, They're just a few miles or a mile or two up the road off Minnesota Avenue on Eli. It is a wonderful ministry, a wonderful investment uh, in the lives of our young people. I had the privilege of attending a benefit for the school a couple weeks ago, my wife and I, which is where we heard these young men sing. And, you know, great minds think alike, or at least when you're married, you share one brain, right? So we we leaned over and looked at each other and said, we got to invite these guys to come sing. And so we pray that you encourage and bless uh, by the gifts that the Lord has given them. And I pray you'll check out more, learn more about Cornerstone Schools and pray for that ministry uh, as the Lord brings them to mind. So everybody have a copy of the book? Okay, enough of that then. Uh, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. If you're new to the Bible, um, you're the kind of person we love to have in our services, Right? Uh, Because what we are dedicated to is teaching this book, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, so that we might know this book, and by knowing this book, know the God who spoke this book. Uh, And so we very much welcome you. Um, If you are using one of the Bibles that we just provided, one of the blue Bibles, Luke 24 is on what page? 884, 884. And when you hear me say chapter and chapter number, that's the big number on the page. So chapter 24, that's the large number. And we're going to begin in verse 1. That's the small number. Uh, So we're in Luke 24, verse 1, which is really continuing on from the section that Pastor Matt read for us earlier. Now, it's Easter. And this is, in in our society, um, a, a commonly known holiday. Even if you're not 
Christians, you celebrate Easter, right? At least you're glad to be out of school for a week, if, if nothing else, right? And when I was growing up, Easter meant a new suit and new shoes. And little girls had new dresses and little white gloves and, and maybe a little hat. And, and Easter, when I was growing up in my family, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, Easter was that one time of year where we were certain to go to church, right? And I would be in there with my itchy suit on, kind of squirming and sitting next to my grandmother who smelled like peppermint. And she would, you know, she'd pinch me when I squirm and she would teach me to sit still, real, real petrified still. Like, you know, don't, don't move. Nobody moves, nobody gets hurt, right? So, you know, that, that, was, that was Easter for me growing up. And I knew vaguely that it had something to do with Jesus, but I, I didn't really know what. And I knew vaguely that it had something to do with his death, and, but I, I really didn't know what. And so for a long time, I sort of walked through life, going to church on Easter, nodding at the appropriate times in the service, clapping at the appropriate times in the service, but not really knowing what it was about. And therefore, missing the wonder and the joy and here's what I've discovered. The wonder and the joy of Easter is inexhaustible. You can drink from this and delight in this, and it never grow old. So what we want to do this morning is behold the resurrected Lord. We want to take not a passing look at him this morning. We don't want to take a, a glance as, at the resurrection. But with God's help this morning, we want to linger just a little while over what it means that Jesus rose from the grave. Why is that relevant? Why is that significant? Why do churches like this one all over the world today in school gymnasiums and in church buildings and in the bushes of, of, of undeveloped countries underneath trees or on the island where I just came from nine months ago at the seashore, why do Christians all over the world gather this day with special celebration in their hearts? To understand that, we want to behold the resurrection. Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. 
But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray together. Father, we pray indeed that you would grant us something of this marveling at what happened that first Easter morning when the tomb was empty and the clothes were folded, but the Son of God was raised. Grant, O oh Lord, that we should see in this beauty and truth to stir our souls. Feed us by your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's set the context. Let's try to enter into the story. Verse 1. It's the first day of the week. On the Jewish calendars, what we would call Sunday. This is significant because they're going there early in the morning to the tomb and they're taking spices that they had prepared. Now, the action of chapter 23 happened three days earlier. Christ had been crucified and dead for three days. And three days later, because of the Jewish law, which forbid them on the Passover and on the Sabbath to interact with dead bodies, these women are now going to the tomb. Try to imagine that. The one you have followed. The one you have come to believe to be a special sent one from God. The one whom you have come to believe would bring the, the very kingdom of God to earth. The one whom you have seen do miracles, indescribable miracles healing the sight of blind men and causing crippled men to walk, even raising dead people from the grave. The one your heart has began to trust and to long for. You watched him beaten. You watched him mocked. You watched the entire nation scorn him you watch the religious leaders reject him you watch this man who had only done good and had only done love you watched him treated like a criminal and some of you were there to the very end you saw them take out the long, rusty nails. And you heard every whack, every whack, every whack as the nails were driven through his hands, driven through his feet. And you watched them lift him on a pole until he was upright. You watched him hang there. And the sky at midday went dark. And in that darkness, you could make out the figure on the hill. There he was, stretched wide, hung high, criminals on 
either side. And then you heard a cry that split the sky. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? while later with less volume but something strangely sounding like triumph you heard three words it is finished and you saw Jesus bow his head and die You were there three days ago. You've been weeping for three days. And now you're walking to the tomb. How do you imagine they walked? Was, was it slow and trudging? Or was it purposeful with business to take care of? Do you imagine these women as they walked, did they... Did they talk with one another? Or did somehow speaking seem irreverent? And, and they make their way to the tomb. And when they get to the tomb, they find three surprises. Notice the first surprise there in verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, they had been there also when Joseph of Arimathea had gone to Pilate, had gone to the Roman officials and said, listen, can I take the body down off the cross and can I give it a proper burial? And they had seen Joseph take the body to a brand new tomb, never used before, carved out of the side of the rock. And they'd seen Jesus lay down in that tomb. And they'd seen Joseph, in order to protect the body, roll a large stone, according to Mark 16, over the entrance of that tomb. A stone so large that they wondered as they walked to the tomb, how are we going to move the stone? I'll never forget my father's funeral. It was in 2000. I'd never seen my father in a church before before his funeral. And there we sat and we're going through the ceremony and I had forgotten a question that my wife had asked me a couple of years before in an effort to encourage me to renew my relationship with my father who had left the family when I was about age 13. She says, how are you going to feel when he dies? Having really not known significant loss at that point, I foolishly said to my wife, I, I don't think I'll feel anything. I hardly know the man. And sitting there that Sunday, that, that, that funeral day, when the casket was closed on my father's body, it was such a finality. It, 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 was, it was such an ending. I was never going to laugh with this man again. I was never going to be angry with this man again. I was never going to hear him call me Tiger again. I was never going to ask him for a couple dollars again and hear him say, boy, I ain't got no money. It was over. 
And perhaps they went to the tomb expecting that, that that same sort of stone of finality would be laid across the entrance of the tomb and they wouldn't be able to carry out the preparations of the body that they had come there for. These are good Jewish women and they're coming there in accord with Jewish law and Jewish custom to prepare the body for a, a proper burial. And they wonder, who rolled the stone away? And they're surprised. The stone has already been moved. Notice now the second surprise. Verse 3. When they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine that? You're, you're kind of glad the stone is moved, but then you're wondering, who moved the stone? Why did they move the stone? And then you go in and you're kind of half halting and you're maybe early. It's very early in the morning. It's still dawn. The sun is not at its peak yet. And maybe the light's not good in the cave. And you're, you're sort of searching with squinted eye to, to find the body. And you, you go into the tomb. Can you imagine the surprise? The one you've loved and followed, who you witnessed killed, his body is no longer. And before they can process that surprise, notice the third surprise. You see it there in verse 4? While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? If we were to read further down into Luke 24, we would see that these two men were in fact angels. They, they had gone into an empty tomb, a, a tomb shrouded in the darkness of the early dawn, maybe squinting and peering and trying to see, and all of a sudden, dazzling light. Radiance and glory fills the tomb. They go from being confused to frightened. And you know, it's, it's interesting in the scripture. I, I think in sort of our culture today, when we think of angels, uh, we, we think of um, little fat, cuddly things with wings, you know. Little cute little babies flying around doing good stuff, right? Or, or maybe we think of angels on, on somebody's shoulder trying to tell them to do good things or there's a bad angel telling them to do bad things or, um, or, or maybe you think of Della Reese and, and the, show, the show that she used to touch by an angel. Um, we, we have all kinds of ways of thinking about angels in our culture, but in the Bible, when angels show up, people fall down afraid. Angels are mighty beings. They are powerful beings. They, they, they stand before the face of God and serve God day and night. They go to and fro as his messengers. And, and whenever man gets a glimpse of that reflection of the glory of God, they, they always have this reaction. They always get frightened and bow. There's something about the holiness that angels have. There's a reflection of the holiness of God that makes weak creatures, sinful creatures like us, rightly bow. 
They're surprised by these two beings. And these two beings come with a message. And they ask a a rhetorical question there. And it's that rhetorical question that turns the entire narrative. It it turns the narrative away from the, the gloom and the discouragement and the despair and the darkness of that crucifixion and that early morning. And it turns the entire narrative toward the the light and the power and the greatness of the resurrection. And that question just comes to them. Why do you look for the living among the dead? It's a marvelous question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? To find life, you got to go to the right place. You don't find life in a graveyard. You don't find living beings in cemeteries, in in tombs. These women went there expecting that Jesus was dead. And the angel's message is a a kind of confrontation. And it's meant to awaken them. And it's meant to open their eyes that something marvelous has happened. And what they expected is not actually the case. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And with that question, we see their entire lives redirected in four ways. In four ways that the resurrection redirects our lives. Number one, for those of you taking notes, it redirects our life from death to life. It redirects us from death to life. Look there again in the beginning of verse 6. The angel continues to speak. He says, why do you look for the living among the dead? Verse 6, he is not here, but has risen. What what a simple sentence. He is not here, but has risen. It's the kind of sentence you might find in in a child's little book when they're a primer, when they're learning to read. Simple subject, he, simple verb, is not here. He is risen. Uh, It's such a profound thing encapsulated in such simple words. These these words, which can be taken as as nothing, which can be taken as insignificant words, which can be regarded as ineloquent, are actually the words that change the universe. The words that change all of reality. And the words that redirect the lives of these women and Christians for 2,000 years now. He is risen. What does that mean? Well, he was dead, but now he's alive again. What does that mean? It means death does not win. It means death does not claim the victory. Death does not have the last word. And this is why the Apostle Paul cries out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Death can't sting us. Death can't harm us. Death can't claim us and finally win the victory over us because Christ in his death has put death to death itself. I love the way the writer in Hebrews puts it. Right in Hebrews says, he came to free them who all their lives had been held captive by their fear of death. There's nothing that quite strikes us with fear like the, like the prospect of death, is there? 
We, we all push back against death. We, we know that it's unnatural. We, we know instinctively that we were meant to live, and that's why we resist death. That's why we go to the doctors when we're really sick. That's why we are always looking for ways to extend our lives, because death is not natural. Death is the curse that God pronounced upon the world because of sin. In Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, God tells our first parents, Adam and Eve, that if you disobey me by eating this fruit that I told you not to eat, then you will surely die. That's the consequence that's come upon the world for disobeying God. And this strange, unrelenting, merciless thing called death with its gnarled fingers and, and dark, 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 dark way of touching our lives strikes fear in us all. But it does not win. Christ is risen. He rose from the grave and the curse that he had pronounced upon the world for sin, he has now finally absolved the world of. He has now finally cured the world of. The, the curse that spread throughout all of humanity has now been overcome by that one death, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and been overcome by that one resurrection, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all those who trust in him will be raised together with him live forever with him. We are turned, beloved, from our fear and occupation with death to this new resurrected life. It's an amazing thing, my Christian friend, that Paul says in Ephesians that the same power which raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you who believe. Christian, you believe that? The same power which raised Jesus from the dead, that resurrection power, that same power is at work in you who believe. And, and he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, that, that we have been raised together with him and we are seated together with him in the heavenly places. We are seated together, Colossians 3, at the right hand of God in Christ. We are turned now from death to life. Death no longer has a claim upon us. Only life does. Only life does. And we will go from life to life if we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection turns us from death to life, but you see there in the rest of verse 6 and verse 7, it also turns us from the law to the gospel. It turns us from the law to the gospel. Now you remember, they were going to the tomb to prepare the body. They were going there in obedience to God's law in the Old Testament, the, the Mosaic Covenant. As faithful Jews, they had come to understand that they were related to God through a covenant. And in that covenant, in that relationship, that sort of binding relationship, that's all a covenant means, in that binding relationship, God had required things of them that they were to obey. And here, there are laws here with regard to how to bury another Jewish person. So they're going there on preparation day to obey the law. But now notice verse 6 and 7. He says, remember how he, that is Jesus, told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men 
and be crucified and on the third day rise. The angel is redirecting them away from what they came there to do in obedience to the law to the teaching that Jesus himself had given them while he was alive with them in his earthly ministry. He says there, that, that little word, remember, that's an important word. As Christians, we, we ought always remember the gospel of our Lord. We, we leak, don't we? You know, we go into Monday morning, we go into Tuesday. By the time Thursday afternoon, we've been sort of punched full of holes, just, just making it through this world, and the gospel kind of seeks out. This act of remembrance feeds our faith and strengthens us in the Lord. And so the angel says, now, remember what, what he taught you. Recall, bring back to mind what he taught you when he was with you in Galilee, verse 7, that the Son of Man, that's a title that goes all the way back to one of the prophets in the Old Testament, to Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7. Well, the prophet Daniel has a vision of one whom he describes as like the Son of Man going to the Ancient of Days, which is a, a description of God the Father. And he goes to the Ancient of Days, and this one, the Son of Man, receives something that no other man could receive from God. He receives glory and honor and majesty and dominion, and the nations become his. This title, Son of Man, was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself. He used it like the pronoun I. And so when he used this title of himself, he was pointing them all the way back to the prophet Daniel and pointing them all the way back to what Daniel taught about the Son of Man, that he was, in fact, the Messiah, the Savior, and he was, in fact, sharing with God glory and honor and majesty and ownership of all the peoples of the earth. He says, remember what the Son of Man taught you. Notice what he taught. That he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Beloved, if you're here this morning and you're new to a, a Christian service or new to the Bible or uh, new to uh, a gathering like this, Again, we, we love that you're here. We can't think of any place we would rather you to be, and, and we love that we, you come with all of that newness, right? And, and one of the things we want, the, the main thing we want you to understand, if you get nothing else out of your time with us this morning, we, we want you to comprehend this message. This is what we call the gospel. That little word, gospel, simply means good news. And the good news is this, that Jesus Christ came into the world born of a virgin, and he was fully human just as we are, and that's important because he's going to have to do some things in his humanity that we failed to do. So he comes into the world fully human and fully God, and, and fully human, he, he obeys everything that God requires of man perfectly. The Bible says he was without sin, and that's different from you and me because we are with sin, all of us. We are constantly with sin. All of us. But Jesus wasn't. He was without sin. And the reason he was without sin is there are two reasons. Number one was so that he would obey God in our place. That he would offer to God the obedience that we were meant to give to God, but that we failed to give to God because we disobeyed God. And number two, he comes in human flesh and he obeys God so that he might also give his life as a ransom for our lives, that he might 
pay the price, the penalty that we owe because of our sin. He's taking our place in both our obedience and in our judgment. That's what's happening on the cross. He is being judged for sins. He's been judged for our sins. All that we did wrong was counted toward him. And all that he did right is counted toward us if we believe in him. This is why it's good news. You see, we go from being sinners who should be judged by God and judged forever by God to being like Jesus, having his, his righteousness as if we had obeyed God and served God the way the Son of God did. And, and he gets all of our sin and we get all of his righteousness. And we are reconciled to God. We are put at peace with God. When we were once sinners going our own way and, and not thinking about God and rebelling against God and deserving his wrath, now if we turn from our sins and put our faith in Christ, we are brought to be at one with him. And peace is made between a holy God and sinful men. And, and, and not only that, we are adopted into the family of God. We go from being spiritual orphans to being children of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, we're given an inheritance in his family. The very kingdom of God which shall never fade away. A kingdom wherein there is no more sin, no more death, no more dying, no more early morning trips to the tomb, no more surprises by angels, but a kingdom where we shall see God face to face and be in his presence and know only his joy and have escaped all the corruptions of this world. We have a place in that kingdom as children of God. And not only that, in this gospel, God gives us himself. He, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and, and who guarantees this reward to which we are going and who, who keeps us until that day of our final salvation and who is with us to commune with us and to give us power that we might live for Christ. God is with us and God will keep us until we are with God and enjoy him face to face. And the good news is this doesn't cost us one red cent. The good news is, this doesn't require of us to earn anything. The good news is, God gives it freely to all who will believe in Jesus Christ. Oh, we are not trying to obey the law, and we are not trying to please God by our righteous actions. No, God has pleased himself with his son, and he's accepted his son's righteous actions. And now he calls all men everywhere to repent of their sins and to believe in Christ and come to him and live. And my friend this morning, if that's a new message to you, let me tell you something. This new message can make you a new person. This new message brings to the believer a new life. Oh, won't you be tired of your sin? Won't you feel the exhaustion and the frustration and the futility and the brokenness and the pain and the wretchedness and the sorrow and the shame and the evil and the wickedness and the untrustworthiness and the brutality and the corruption and the darkness and the ugliness of sin? Won't you feel it and see it for what it is? 
And once you flee it, once you flee it, once you run from it before God's judgment comes, and once you run to Christ and receive freely the life that he gives to all who believe in him. Turn from your sin this morning, confess it to God, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and this same resurrected life will be yours through faith in him. If you're here this morning, and you've not yet believed that message, and you want to, just now, in the quiet of where you sit, call upon the name of the Lord. In the quiet of where you sit, confess your sin to him. In the quiet of where you sit, ask him for everything he promised in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins, righteousness in his sight, eternal life, joy and love in the Holy Spirit and our everlasting kingdom to come. This is a prayer he will always answer. Call upon him and be saved. And Christian, let us remember what Christ has done for us. Many of you have heard it said many times that we ought to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Oh, that's good counsel. That's good advice. To wake up each morning and, and not, not so late that we're busy to get off to work or to get the kids ready and, and not so distracted that we, we forget the gospel itself, but to wake up at least early enough to pray for 60 seconds or 120 seconds or 180 seconds, but, but to wake up early enough to remember the gospel that Christ was crucified for you, fill in your name, claim it. That he was buried in your place and he was raised from the grave for your justification. And all that he did is yours, Christian. What a, what a difference it would make to live every day in light of the gospel. What a difference it makes with our co-workers. They vexing you, working your nerves. 60 seconds in the bathroom. Lord Jesus, <laughs> I know you died for my sins, but this sinner over here too, they, you, know, they, they, you died for theirs too, and that changes the perspective, doesn't it? And their sins aren't just against you, but against the God who made them, and they, and they, they need the same salvation that, that we have needed, right? That same cross that removes our sins removes theirs too. And the same resurrection that gives us new life will we'll give our, our colleague new life. And, and 80 seconds later, we, we leave the restroom and say, you know what, let me tell you something. Jesus loves you. And he gave his life for you. Now, you, you know, we're free from giving other people a piece of our mind. That's a little too small anyway, isn't it? And we're free to give people a piece of God's mind. That he loves them and has died for them and will save them. What a difference this makes in our parenting, doesn't it? To live every day in light of the gospel and to parent in light of the gospel, to parent in light of a risen and resurrected Savior. Oh, Johnny's not acting right. Didn't do his homework. Went to football practice when you told him not to if he didn't do his homework and didn't do his homework. Now he's come home with a, with a C minus, a D minus, or, you know, come home with a flag and you got to address Johnny. And boy, you can hammer Johnny with the law. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? Boy, you going to listen to me? And sometimes even worse, right? How this frees us to sort of meet Johnny with the same grace that we got from God. Say, listen here, son, I want to tell you something. 
for your own good and for your joy. When you disobey mommy and daddy, you actually disobey God. Because God gave you mommy and daddy for your protection and to teach you how, how to follow him and how to live for him and, and to point you to him and to trust him. And, and so your sin is not just against us. Your sin is against God. But now here's the really good news, John. You can be forgiven of your sin against God. And, and you can live in the forgiveness and the kindness that God gives to sinners if, if you would confess it and you would believe in Christ. And, and Christ will send his spirit to live in you to help you live, Johnny, in a way that's pleasing to him if you trust him. And Johnny can be 15 or Johnny can be 5. Johnny, Johnny can be very young. Johnny can be a grown son. And God in his love through Christ will turn Johnny from death to life and from the law to the gospel. And Johnny will live through faith in Christ. This is how this resurrection redirects us from death to life, from the law to the gospel. Notice something else, a third thing. Verses 8 to 10, the resurrection redirects us from being mourners to being messengers. From being mourners to being messengers. You see that in verse 8? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. You see how, how quickly they've been turned. They, they went there with the, with the slow shuffling of mourners and now they've discovered an empty tomb and blazing white angels and heard the good news. He is not dead. He is alive. He is risen. And all of a sudden, the embrace of that message turned them from being people who were mourning about their loss to now proclaiming the message of Christ's resurrection. And so it is with all of Christ's people. All of us who believe in Christ, we are, we are disciples. We are followers of Christ. But the Bible also says that we are witnesses for Christ. We are those who testify to Christ. That's, that's what that little word is. They, they told the others all that they had learned, that the tomb is empty, the grave clothes are inside, but Jesus is not. And they become heralds. They become messengers. They become proclaimers. And so it is with all of us who trust in Christ. It's striking, right? Because so often in life we can... We can feel the bruises of this life, and I know I'm guilty of this. Maybe I'm the only one, and I'm projecting onto all of you. Bear with me for a minute. But, but we can feel that things aren't going right in this life, and then there's something that the Bible calls a sin, which I wish the Bible didn't call a sin, but it does. We can start to murmur and complain. Okay, I got some witnesses. <laughs> murmur and complain. This didn't go right, and they said this. And they said that. And woe is me. We can become, I'm dating myself now, but there was a cartoon when I was a little boy. had a character on it called Bad Luck Schlep Rock. You know, just bad luck just followed him, right? Or a little bit less dated. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. We can become Eeyore, right? Woe is me. You know, we can spend our whole life mourning, even as Christians. And yet, God has called us to proclaim this message. 
to give our lives to telling this good news. And if it's good news, it should be accompanied with great joy. That's what the angels announced at Christ's birth, isn't it? They come in Luke chapter 2, I believe it is, and they announce to the shepherds, you know, don't, don't fear, I bring you glad tidings. I bring you good news of great joy because there's a Savior that's born, Christ the Lord. And that's our message too. There's a Savior that's been born, Christ the Lord. And it's our calling to tell this message. So let me encourage us with a real quick application on this point. Notice in verse 10, there's three women who leave the tomb and tell this story. The first ones to give the news of the resurrection are Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Mary Magdalene, we will know uh, in, in sort of history and tradition, lived a scandalous life. Joanna was a, a woman of some means, married to a, a governor. And Mary, the mother of James, well, that, that's, her, that's her claim to fame. She's a mother. She's a mom. Of these women, they are pretty ordinary women. And the striking thing is, in this day, if you were trying to put together a legal case to prove something like a man we thought was dead is actually alive, you'd never use women in that day because of the, because of the, um, the, the sort of sexism of that day. A testimony wouldn't have been allowed in courts. And so if you wanted to make something up and to make it look credible, well, you wouldn't write the story and then sort of take the key event of the story and have three women be the ones who first testify to it. Now, you know how we tell the story. We, we're the heroes of our own story, right? And, and the longer we tell the story, the greater we get in it, right? See, this, this, just, this just smells like truth. It just smells like authenticity. These women are recorded here because this is what happened. And never mind the fact that in that culture, this didn't give more credibility to the gospel. It's what happened. It's the truth, right? And, and notice these are ordinary people proclaiming an extraordinary message. And this means, beloved, that any and all of us can tell this story, that Christ has come into the world, that he has died from sins, and he has risen from the grave. That's it. That's all of it. And we can invite people to come to this message, to believe it, and live. So one application, if you want to sort of take this home and put this to work in some way, why don't you jot down in your Bibles or in your bulletins or, you know, maybe on your iPhone or whatever you're using, why don't you jot down the names of one, two, or three people? Not a whole list of people, unless you want to, but one, two, or three people that you will tell this message to today. Maybe even before we leave the lunch, you, you'll text it to them, or, or you'll call them. And say, I, I just heard this message, and I'm supposed to tell somebody, and I thought of you. You know, pray, and then call them, or call them when you get home, and say, listen, there is good news. Christ is risen. He died for sins, but he rose for sinners to save us and to give us eternal life in Jesus Christ. If you haven't believed that yourself, first you believe it. You trust it. Put your hope in Christ. And then like these ladies on that morning leaving the tomb, you go and tell somebody. Go tell one, two, or three people because if Christ is risen, it turns us away from our mourning and it makes us messengers to the world. This comes to our final point how the resurrection redirects us. It turns us from death to life. It turns us from the law to the gospel. It turns us from mourners to messengers. Finally, it turns us from sorrowful doubt to joyous faith. 
And we see that in those last two verses there, verses 11 and 12. The ladies come and they tell the apostles all these things. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. You see that even among their very own leaders, their religious leaders, their religious leaders didn't believe the women's account at first. But verse 12, there's a but. But this man named Peter, who had lived with Jesus for three years and was one of Jesus' messengers, Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the beginning of Peter's turning from doubt to faith. This is the beginning of his beginning to grasp and to understand what Jesus had taught and what Jesus had done. He, he, didn't, he didn't understand it all at first. Like many of us, the first time I heard the gospel, I didn't understand it all. And in fact, if I can be honest with you, and, and maybe you're like this, the first time I heard this message, it seemed a little foolish to me. That a man 2,000 years ago died on a cross, and somehow that makes me right with God. Somehow what he did then counts for me, and, and that's how I get to know God. And he's the only way to get to know God. If I can be honest with you, that, that seemed proud, and that seemed foolish. And I didn't believe. And maybe that's you. And when Peter first heard this message, he didn't believe right away. It took some time. It's, it's going to be days still before he begins to get the, the sort of full weight of what's happened here and before his sort of seed of faith flowers fully into the joy of, of, a, of a deep, sound grasp of who Jesus Christ is for him. And Peter would experience that joy for the rest of his life. You know how I know that? Because he writes a couple of letters in the New Testament. And one of those letters, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes in verses 8 to 10 these words. He's near the end of his life. He's writing to Christians all throughout Asia and the known world. And he's encouraging them in the faith. And this is what he says in verse 8 to 10. He says, though you have not seen him, referring to Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and then notice, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You, you see what Peter says there? He says, listen, there's some things you don't, you don't know about Jesus, you haven't seen Jesus, but you do love him and you do believe in him, and by that faith, a couple of things are happening. Number one, you're filled with joy, and Peter says, inexpressible and filled with glory. There's a, there's a joy that you can't give words to, and it's full of the weightiness of glory and the, and the majesty of glory. And this is not only that, as you believe in the one whom you have not seen, and you love him even though you have not seen him, you are at the same time obtaining your goal, the salvation of your souls. That, that God is working out in you, not only the salvation that he promised in Christ, but as he works that out in you, he is also giving you a joy that you won't even be able to describe. The resurrection turns us from a sorrowful doubt and a pitiful unbelief to a powerful, glorious, indescribable joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I make this appeal to you this morning and then we'll pray and we'll be done. Seek your greatest 
happiness. Run hard after it. Go for it. Seek your joy. But your greatest happiness is going to be found in knowing and loving Jesus Christ. It, it won't be found in other things. Though they give you some pleasure, though they give you some happiness, though, though they stir you for a moment. Anybody ever had the experience of being happy for a little while and wondering where that joy went? Anybody ever had the experience of saying, boy, this thing used to give me great delight, but there seems to be diminishing returns now? I, I don't get as happy with this thing as I used to. But it's not like that with Jesus. To, to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to see him and to trust him and to follow him is to enter into what feels like the kiddie pool of joy. And as you sort of walk into that pool, you realize the water is rising. And the further you walk, the deeper you go until you're swallowed and submerged in the very joy of the Lord himself. And you will discover in that joy that you can't give it words. It's inexpressible. And you will discover in that joy that there's a glory, there's a splendor, there's a majesty, there's a weightiness to this joy that's unlike all the other trivial joys of this life. It's unlike all the other trivial pursuits of this life. It's like unlike all the passing fancies and the, and the fleeting joys that you have ever tasted. This joy gets richer and deeper and fuller and wider and stronger and more mature. The more you wade into it, the greater this joy gets. Seek your own joy. Seek your greatest joy. Don't settle for weaker joys. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why we exist as a church to help people find joy, to find it in the joy of the Lord. And we want that to be your joy this morning. If you have questions about any of this, talk with any of the pastors, Pastor Matt here, or is Pastor Jeremy. Pastor Jeremy somewhere, he's up front. Talk with me. Talk with any of the members of the church. We would love to answer your questions, encourage you, serve you anywhere, uh, serve you in any way we can. Minister Wyeth. Over here, Minister Jahil there, with the snapback on. So whether you want a, a suit or a snapback, <laughs> you know, whether you want floor shimes or Tim's, you know, whether you want church hats or hoodies, you know, it's all welcome here. It's all welcome here. But what we most ought to want is the joy of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh God, our Father, we praise you for Christ the Lord is risen today. And we sing to you our hallelujahs. And we praise your name and we give you glory. And we thank you, Lord, that because he has risen, all of life has changed. And we are turned, O oh Lord, from death to life. We are turned from the condemnation of the law to the freedom of the gospel. And we are turned this morning, Lord, from mourning to give in the message. And we are turned from a, a doubting, doubting sorrow to a joyous, joyous faith because he is risen. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to rest all of our hopes on the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we would delight in him and discover this joy 
full of glory and inexpressible. May that be every heart's reward this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ.